Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome. It's so good to be here with you and see all of your faces and to see us gathered here together in the Lord's house. What a blessing it is. And for those of you online, welcome, and thank you for joining us and for tuning in with us. We pray this time is a blessing to you. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Uh, what a blessing fathers are, and what a blessing our Heavenly Father is. And children, obey your parents. Obey your parents, young and old children. And Dad, if you're watching, I love you. But obey your Heavenly Father above all else. Today we are in uh, 1 John 3, 11 to 24. 1 John 3, 11 to 24. And I have a question before we start reading. Suppose a brother or sister in Christ came to you and asked you how they knew they were saved. They were doubting their faith and they weren't sure. What answer would you give to them? Well, John's answer of how we can be sure of our salvation is, is in love. The foundation of that is our love for one another and our love for God. If we love God, we'll love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so John's epistle, the first epistle, is really an epistle that's about love. It's one of those notes that he keeps hitting. And John is a particular writer. He's not linear in how he writes. He writes sweet symphonies. There's major lifts and minor lifts. And he keeps coming back to the same melody, the same theme of love. And so it can be challenging to read him sometimes because there's so much packed in. The title of this passage, or the title of this sermon rather, is Priest, Am I My Brother's Keeper? And this is part of a series that I started back in January when uh, I preached from Ezekiel 37, The Valley Dry Bones. And the title of the sermon series is called Prophet, Priest, and King. And it's exploring those offices of the Old Testament and how they've been fulfilled in Christ. And this is a peculiar passage to talk about priesthood, but it's in here. It's in this passage. So let's read today 1 John 3, 11 to 24. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. Love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother is in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, 
God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in God, and God abides in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you uh, love us as your children, that you lavish your love on us, Lord. You bestow it to us. You give it to us. And you have done that through the work of Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, Lord, that we can now be called children of the living God. And we can cry out even as Jesus cried out, Abba, Father. Lord, we have a relationship with you because you have desired to have relationship with us. We pray, Father, that we would sweeten our fellowship with you this day and that we would sweeten our fellowship with one another this day and that your spirit would be here working in our lives and working in our hearts, changing us to be more Christ-like. And I pray for those who are watching online, Lord, that they would be renewed in their spirit. Lord, they are far from us today, but they are here with us in spirit. Lord, bless them and keep them. And we pray for those who do not know you, that you would, in your power, draw them to yourself so that they would know this incredible love of Christ. Amen. In the first verse, verse 11, we see right away the foundation of our faith. The foundation of love. And this, uh, this foundation is established by Christ. John is reminding his audience that love is from the beginning. It's the first principles of the gospel. And he's, in his symphonic writing, he's connecting it back to his first, uh, the first chapter where he talks about Christ, the incarnate word, as the one that was from the beginning. See, our love is established in Christ before the foundation of the world. That which was from the beginning. Christ is eternal. And the love he has for us is eternal. For those who confess him as Lord. The first point here uh, of the sermon is loving the world leads to hating the brothers. And this stands in stark contrast to the Christian foundation. Hate is contrary to love. And John is using these contrary pairs throughout his epistle. He talks about life and death. He talks about light and darkness. He talks about truth and lies. And in this passage here, he's talking about love and hate. Those who love the world hate their brothers. And so in verse 12, he moves on. He's established the positive that we should love. This is the foundation of the gospel. And now he's moving to the negative example, the contrast to that. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So why does John use this example? Out of 
the Bible. There's lots of examples of brothers hating brothers and lots of examples of murderers. Well, this is the story from the beginning. Cain and Abel are really the first humans in the sense that we're human. Adam and Eve certainly were human, but they were created intimately by God in the garden from the dust of the ground and from the rib. And they didn't have physical births like we have physical births. And they were created in a sinless world. We are born into a fallen world. And Cain and Abel were born into a fallen world. Genesis 4 follows the fall of creation. It follows that great crash that happened where relationships were shattered and broken. Sin entered the world and death followed it. And our relationship with God was broken. Our relationship with one another was broken. And our relationship to the creation was broken as well. And that is where Cain and Abel are born. They're born into a fallen world. And Cain and Abel serve as two examples of the heart conditions of men. Those who love God and pursue him, Abel, and those who hate God and despise his ways. Those of the world, the Cains of the world. John says the deeds of Cain were evil. Deeds, plural. Well, when we think of Cain, we think of the murder of his brother, but what are the other deeds that he commits that are evil? Well, first of all, he doesn't give sacrifice that the Lord requires. And after that, he murders his brother, he hardens his heart, and then after that, he lies about the murder of his brother. He lies to God. Cain doesn't worship God. He doesn't offer sacrifice God desires. See, we are born men and women who are contrary to God. We're born lawlessness. We are born in sin, and our hearts don't naturally know who God is, and we don't offer right sacrifices to him. And our hearts, if we continue in sin, in lawlessness, become totally hard. I grew up with a young man in grade 8, and he came to church, and he went to VBS, and he was exposed to the Word of God, but he had hate in his heart. And I remember one time in school, he exploded in the classroom, and he was upset with somebody, and he grabbed a chair and threw it against the wall, and he started yelling profanities at people and to the teacher, and we were shocked. We were shocked by this behavior. His heart... There was hate in his heart. And I didn't see much of him throughout high school. And he stopped coming to church. And then a few years ago, I heard a, a story in Kingston. A man, a young man, stabs an older man. And the old man died. And this young man was going through the streets of Kingston. And he had a knife. And he was out for blood. And the police came to the scene and said, put the knife down. And he ran at them. And he was shot dead. That was the same boy who was in my classroom. I knew him. He knew the gospel. But he hardened his heart, and it led to somebody's death. And it led to his death. And you see, the deeds of Cain were evil. They accumulated in him. It didn't just happen randomly. There was evidence that he was living for the world. And we look at these people who commit these atrocities and we puff ourselves up and we say, 
I could never do that. I'm better than that. Look at my works. Look what I've done. I'm good. I hold the door for people. I deliver groceries. I do these things. But you know, Jesus says that if you look at your brother with hate in your eyes, you've committed murder in your heart. And we've all done that. We've all hated the brothers at one point or another. And we're guilty in God's eyes of murder. Cain and Abel is not the first instance of sacrifice we have in Scripture. In Genesis 3, verse 21, we read, And the Lord made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Well, where did God get the skin? An animal had to be sacrificed to clothe them. An animal had to be killed to cover Adam and Eve in their disobedience, to cover their nakedness. And this is so beautiful and exciting because this is the gospel. This is the gospel even, even before. Here we don't see Adam and Eve sacrificing to God, but God comes down and sacrifices for them. And he clothes them and he loves them and he forgives them. He sacrifices for sinful man. See, there can be no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. We need blood to cover us. We've always related to God by blood. And as children of God, we relate to him deeper than blood now. Right? And so Adam, as a high priest, he was serving as a high priest in the garden. He was keeping and serving it. He's keeping and serving God. He would have passed this story on to Cain and Abel. They would have known what God did for them. There was no excuse for Cain to offer of the fruits of the ground. No excuse. He knew what was required, but he was disobedient to God. He was disobedient to God. And that caused him to sacrifice his brother. You say, well, I don't see that in the text. It says murder. Well, John uses an interesting word here, a Greek word called spasdo. It's only used ten times in the uh, New Testament. It's used eight times in Revelation to talk about the lamb that was slain, the lamb that was slaughtered. And it's used twice here in this chapter. It's an interesting choice for murder. Because what John is doing by using that word spasdo is if you translate it literally, it would read, Cain slit his brother's throat like an animal's. Cain slit his brother's throat. Appalling. Evil above all evils to take another life. But what John is saying is that Cain, as an agent of the evil one, of the devil, Cain sacrifices Abel in the wickedness of his heart to his own selfish desires. He sees his, what his brother has and he's jealous of him. And so what we have here is we see two emerging priesthoods right at the beginning. We see one who offers right sacrifice to God and has favor with God. And we see who, one who offers wrong sacrifice with God. He hardens his heart, he's disobedient, and it leads to death. And we shouldn't be surprised that Cain killed 
able. And we shouldn't be surprised that the world hates us. John continues in verse 13. Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death, and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. See, here is a better priesthood, one that abides in life, one that is eternal, one that if you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're a part of, you're a priest to God. You offer right sacrifices in your heart to God. You do that by loving one another. You belong to Christ as a high priest. You've been resurrected out of death, and you've been brought into life. You've been resurrected by love, right? In Genesis 3, verse 15, the serpent in the garden is cursed, and God speaks this first prophetic utterance in Scripture. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. See, one day a high priest will come and defeat Satan, sin, and death. Despite being struck, he will overcome the prince of this world and crush him. And that person's Christ, and he has come. But at that time, he hadn't come. So what does Satan do? Satan starts to move. He goes to the priests of God, the sons of Adam, and he turns brother against brother. Right away, he gets to work in the hearts of men. And we can't say that the devil made Cain do it. It was a sin in his heart. It was a sin in his heart, and the devil used that for evil. And so Cain kills Abel, and it looks like all is lost. We say, where will this offspring come from if the righteous one is killed? But after the genealogy of Cain's descendant, we read something exciting. We read that Adam and Eve have another child, Seth. And Seth means appointed or anointed. And right in Luke 3, verse 28, Seth is in the genealogy of Christ. Christ, the anointed one, comes from that line of the true priests. Priests unto God. That's exciting. Because he's come and he's conquered death and he's defeated it. And we can be cleansed from our unrighteousness and the disobedience of our heart if we profess him as Lord. And so Christ shows us what real sacrificial love looks like. He doesn't offer an animal. He offers himself to the brothers. And he is our sacrificial lamb. He's our Passover lamb. And so here's our second point. Loving God leads to loving brothers or others. Loving God leads to loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. By this we know love. This is verse 16 of 1 John 3. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. See, the old animal institution of sacrifice has been abolished. Christ died once and for all. Jesus is our high priest, and he offers himself to God. He covers our sin with his blood. We relate to God with blood. We always have. Christ displays God's love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
when we were sinners, when we were enemies, when we were far from God, Christ came and he showed us what real love is, sacrificial love, love of the brothers and sisters. And he shows us that we can have right relationship with God and with each other. Why does Christ go to the cross? What are his motivations as a high priest? Well, he loves the Father, and he wants to do the will of the Father. And we read this in Hebrews 10, verse 4 to 10. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said the above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law, the law that showed sin, right? Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first. Listen to this in order to establish the second. And by that will, that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once and for all. There's no need for sacrifices. We don't have to go to the temple with animals and sacrifice them. And we don't need a priest, a physical priest, in the sense of the Old Testament, because we have a greater priest, the high priest Jesus. And he comes once and for all, and he gives himself. God doesn't desire sacrifices. He never did. He wanted people's hearts. Right. He wanted our hearts. And we've been sanctified. If you know Jesus Christ, your hearts are sanctified. That word is, is holy. Your hearts have been circumcised. The sin has been cut away. The disobedience is cut away, and we are joined. That's the other part of holiness, is that our sin is taken away so that we can be united with holy God, joined to him, we can have relationship with God. Our hearts can know what God desires and be obedient. And Christ displays this great obedience at the cross for us. And he shows us sacrificial love. Do you know this great love? Do you know the forgiveness of sins? Do you know Jesus Christ as your great high priest? Because when Christ died, we read that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The separation between God and man, the holy God and sinful man, was opened up. There's a way now. And that way is found at the cross. Your good works, what you think is good, won't cut it. Because you were born in the church to a Christian family, won't cut it. You need to be born again, and your hearts need to be changed by the gospel. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He died for your sin, and he rose for your justification. And your heart can change. And if you're a believer, your heart does change, and you notice it. You notice it. New believers cut away the sins of their life and they 
cut away that which is unrighteous, what they think is unrighteous, and God is working in their hearts to bring them into fellowship with him. And so Christ shows us that real love is sacrificial love. And it's a matter of the heart and obedience. He does the will of the Father so that we can do the will of the Father, so we can be brought into relationship with him. Let's continue. John says in 17 to 18, verse 17 to 18, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If you see your brother and sister in Christ and you close your heart, it's an attitude of the heart. You close it, you shut it. You don't have the love of God. If you see your brother and sister in Christ suffering or in need or any of these things and you're indifferent to it and you just say, oh, I'll pray for you. If you don't do anything, if you don't pray for them, if you don't meet them where they are, you don't have love. And that is one of the tests of a believer. And you say, wait a minute. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Yes, you are. Yes, we all are. We are to keep the brothers and sisters of Christ. Not that we're in charge of their salvation. No, we're not. Jesus has accomplished their salvation. But that if we see they're in need, we address it. We serve them sacrificially. We give of the world's possession. Notice how John says the world's possession. Isn't that interesting? The world's possession, it belongs to the world. Your wealth, your material goods, what you have is not eternal. And before this, John says that the world is passing away. And the darkness, those who are in darkness are passing away. And the world's goods, the wealth of this world is passing away. But you know what is eternal, what isn't passing away? The love of Christ shown in the brothers and sisters of Christ. And so if you want something that's eternal, give of yourself and give of your material goods and serve. And that is eternal love. That's not passing away. That will stand for eternity, forever. And the work of Christ stands forever. It's eternal Notice how John, oh, sorry, I got ahead of myself. This pandemic has made it difficult to love. It's hard to see your brothers and sisters in need when we're not gathering together. And praise the Lord that we can gather. And next week, for those who are able to gather, for those who aren't vulnerable, come, come outside and gather together in fellowship and love. And see the needs of your brother. Because we've been shut up in our homes. And we have good justification. The government is, is saying that we need to be shut up into our homes. And it's good because it's slowing the pandemic. It's slowing the spread. But what it does is it works in our heart. And it says we're on our own. In our own family group. In our own circle group. We're on our own. But we're not. We're not brothers and sisters because we're of the family of God and we need to gather together as we're able to. And we have a duty to one another 
when we come out of this pandemic and we're able to gather and fill this church up, we have a duty to see who's not here and to inquire and ask because we keep the brothers and we're involved in their lives, in their spiritual well-being because we love them and we don't want them to fall. We don't want them to backslide. In university, when I was first in university, my heart was backslidden. And I was far from God. And I was enjoying the pleasures of this world. And I hated my brothers and sisters in Christ because they showed me what Christ was. And I wasn't ready to come to him and ask for repentance. And you know, the picture of loving one another, Jesus says that that's how the world will know you're my disciples is by your love for one another. And one of my brothers came to me. He met me in Roosters at Carlton. And he said, you're playing with fire. You need to stop. God's put it on my heart. God told him he didn't know me. This man didn't know me. But God showed my heart to him and that terrified me. I was afraid of that. Because my sin had found me out. But I turned away. And who knows what would have happened if that brother didn't confront me in love. Because that's real love, is to confront your brother. And Christ shows us love. Sorry. See, loving the church is loving Christ. Loving your brothers and sisters is loving Christ. Christ says... Anything you do to the least of these, you do unto me. There's no separating the church, the bride of Christ, from Christ himself, from the bridegroom. How you treat your brothers and sisters here today is how you're treating Christ. So how can you say love abides in you if you hate your brother? You can't. You can't. I'm so thankful for my brothers and sisters in Christ. For those who pray for me. Isn't it wonderful to be prayed for? To know that someone cares about you. To know that someone loves you. And I need a lot of prayer. And a lot of those in the church need prayer. The widows and those shut in. They need our prayers and they need our love. Go to them. Social distance from them. Knock on their door. Read the word with them. Encourage one another with psalms and spiritual psalms. Love one another. Jesus prays for us in his high priestly prayer in John 17. And let's read this passage here, John 17, 12 to 16. Jesus keeps us. He keeps the brothers. And he's talking here about the disciples, but later on he'll talk about us as Christians. This is about the disciples here. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world but that you keep them. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. See, Christ shows us he is not of the world because he did something the world despises. He laid down his life for the brothers and sisters. And he gave of himself. And today, right now, he guards us. He's our advocate. He's there in a resurrected body and he bears the wounds of the cross. And he intercedes on our behalf because he loves the Father and because he loves us. And so this shows us the love of God that we were purchased out of the world. We don't belong to it anymore. Put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. Don't love the world. Love one another. See, we are now priests of God. We're priests of God. And it doesn't matter if you're male or female. We're all priests of God. And God gives us new hearts. And our hearts are circumcised to him. And this brings us to our third point. Whether we love the world or we love each other is a matter of the heart. Whether we love the world or love each other is a matter of the heart. See, the way we live our lives is determined by our heart condition. Scripture is clear that there's only two types of hearts. There's hearts of stone and there's hearts of flesh. You know, the worst piece of advice, and we hear it all the time today, is follow your hearts. How often do we hear that, follow your hearts? Jeremiah says something interesting about the heart, doesn't he? In Jeremiah 17, 9 to 10, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according in to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. You see, God knows our hearts. Who can know the heart? God knows the heart. And God gives according to the deeds of the heart. Our hearts are fallen. Our hearts are selfish and cold in their natural, innate capacity. We don't know what love is. We have hearts of stone. And at one point, you did, but maybe now you have a heart of flesh. Maybe now you have a heart that loves God and is united with God. A heart that's circumcised. A heart that loves God and loves the brothers and sisters. See, when you became saved and you repented and turned to God, God did a work in you with his Holy Spirit. And he quickened our hearts. He made us alive in himself. And John emphasizes three things that happen when we're saved. Three important things. We have assurance. We have answer to prayer. And we abide in God. Look at verse 19 to 20. Speaking of assurance... If our hearts are changed. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. And reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us. God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved. If our heart does not condemn us. We have confidence before God. You know when God comes to Cain. And says where is your brother. God knows everything. He knows the heart of Cain. He knows that Cain murdered his brother. He's omnipotent. But what is God doing? I believe that he's offering Cain repentance. He's offering Cain an opportunity to own up to his sin. To say, I've killed my brother. Forgive me, Lord. But what does Cain do? He lies. He says, I am my brother's keeper. And his heart condemns him before God. 
Pastor Kenny said last week that, uh, and he quoted Matthew 12, verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Cain's heart testifies to its hard condition because he speaks a lie to the word of God. The truth isn't in him. And his heart condemns him before God. But for us, when we go to God and we ask for repentance, we have an assurance. We have an assurance because Christ has made the relationship with us and God whole again. It's not broken anymore. It's been made whole. So our hearts reassure us and we have confidence to go before God. And we can go to before God and ask of God because he's our heavenly father. And he loves us. Verse 22, answered prayer. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded it. You see, Cain doesn't have answered prayer. When God tells Cain his punishment, Cain says, it's too much for me to bear. Oh, that someone would find me and kill me because I can't bear it. But what does God say? God says, not so. You're going to be marked and you're going to be restless and you're going to be a wanderer. Cain prays to God that he'd strike him dead. And God says, no. You're going to be restless. You're going to be a wanderer in this world. And Cain founds a city. A city in the world. And he doesn't have answered prayer because his relationship with God is fractured. But our relationship with God is healed through Christ. And he's our good father now. And when we ask of things, if they're in his will, not that it's some crazy, oh, give me a cruise boat or something, Lord, I'd really like that. No. But you're praying for your brothers and sisters. You're praying for healing. You're praying for miracles. You're praying for wisdom like we heard today. You ask for wisdom. God will answer our prayers. We have that assurance. Just if we follow him. If we are obedient to him and we repent of our sin and we look to Jesus. We have to be in right standing with God. Abiding with God. Verse, four, verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So we can abide in, with God. You know, Cain doesn't abide with God. God marks him and he's a wanderer. He's far from God all the days of his life. He was in relationship with God. He was offering sacrifices. God was talking with him. But... He's cast out into the world. And the world loves Cain. And anyone who doesn't love his brother does not abide in God. See, we have access to the Father now. And we're united to the Father. We're in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Christ is in the grip of the Father. No one can snatch them out of my hands. We're in the Spirit. We're in Christ. We're in the Father. We've got that triple A rating. We're secure. 
and we abide with God. We're secure. And even if you sin, God will forgive you. But don't make a habit of sinning because that will put you out um, of relationship with God. You won't want to be with the Lord's people and you won't want to be with God. And hopefully, if you're in that state today, you'll pray for repentance and come to God and love the brothers and sisters. I'm so thankful for all of you today because I'm not alone. We have a family of God. We have brothers and sisters. And we don't offer our brothers and sisters as sacrifices to our selfishness. But we live sacrificially for the brothers and sisters in Christ and love the brothers and sisters in Christ. And we don't harden our hearts against them and have anger or bitterness or resentment because Christ didn't have those things. When we're crucifying him, Jesus says, forgive them, they know not what they do. And we forgive because he first forgave us. Love one another. Don't be a Cain. Love righteousness and pursue God. Let the Holy Spirit work in your heart today and change you and be a priest unto God with a great high priest who is able to keep you and guard you. And in conclusion, I just want to read Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. We have confidence through the work of Christ to come before the Father. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We're in need, aren't we? we? We need God. And we need the love of Jesus. And we need the love of brothers. And Christ submitted his heart to the will of the Father. And so we need to submit our hearts to the will of Christ. And that is love one another. Love one another. You are your brother's keeper. You are. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Lord, we are sinners and our hearts were far from you, but you offered sacrifice for us. Lord, you gave your son, your loved one, your beloved, and your son clothes us and loves us and keeps us and guards us. Thank you, Jesus, that you do this for us. That even now, you are advocating for us. Lord, help our hearts to be softened by your word and by one another. Help our hearts to be sharpened by one another. Lord, help us be high priests unto you, Lord. Be priest unto our high priest. And that the world will see our love for one another. And Christ will be exalted in that. And the people will come to the cross in repentance. Lord, teach us repentance. 
Teach us the love of brothers and help us in need, Father. We thank you for the assurances we have that we can come before you, that we have answered a prayer, and that we abide with you. Lord, thank you. And keep us in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Matt. It's a good word. We're going to go to communion now. So if you have not uh, grabbed a communion cup and you're a believer in Christ, uh, let us uh, grab these cups and at the very least take off the front or the top layer. Have you ever tried to mend... A relationship with someone you had a falling out with. We just basically have talked about this. And uh, I'm sure if you have, um, you know it takes much effort and energy and staying power for this to take place. Um, because resisting bitterness after a falling out, forgiving people, and speaking the truth in love are some of the hardest things to do in life, it seems. Especially when we consider our own pride, our own self-righteousness, and if we've ever been greatly makes matters even more difficult for us. Mending relationships requires sacrifice, personal sacrifice. Well, the Christian faith is all about mending relationships, isn't it? And God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit continually mends relationships between himself and man and between man and man. We who have believed in Christ have had our relationship with God mended through God himself. We experience restored fellowship with him, though we don't deserve such a high privilege and honor. Communion is a time for believers not only to celebrate our mended relationship with God, uh, between us and God, but it's also a time to look around the room and celebrate the mended relationships with our fellow men. He's mended the relationship between men and men, women and women, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Naturally, take a second, look around the room. I'm going to tell you something about yourself. Naturally, you would not pick this group of people to do life with. <laughs> I wouldn't either. And in God's wisdom, that's the beauty of it. He's actually given us a family to do life with that we're not naturally drawn to. But Christ brings us together. If there are people today uh, that you have to make your relationship right with, um, we'd encourage you to do that. If it's a text, if it's an email, if it's a call, we encourage you to settle that before you offer your praise to God. By all means, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with others. Don Carson once said, the church is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs. I will add common perspective on this current pandemic or anything else of that sort. Christians come together 
because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Through Christ, natural enemies become beloved family members. (laughs) And uh, you know about your family, you didn't choose them, right? And though our community is not perfect here at Calvary, how sweet it is to belong to a community that bands together, not in all our common interests, but in the common bond we have through Jesus Christ. As Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. So taking the Lord's Supper is meant to stimulate our faith with these concrete elements which represent the broken body and shed blood of Christ. If you haven't yet turned to Jesus to mend your relationship with God and men, uh, please don't take these elements yet. But get to know us, ask about the Lord, we'll be glad to talk more with you. But continue to come. We're not a perfect church here, by no means we would not say that, but... Those who truly know Jesus in our community uh, can help you to know him and can encourage you to do so and hopefully will show that love that we just heard about to you. So I'll ask you to grab the wafer. Paul said that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. Now you can take the second layer, and we'll drink the juice, which represents the blood of Christ that washes away our sin. And in this drinking, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, Scripture says. In the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We give you praise, O Lord. We take this time now to sing a couple more songs, reminding ourselves of the gospel, the hope we have in Christ. And we thank you for the shed blood that provides the forgiveness of our sins. And oh, we have sinned greatly, Lord, and you have forgiven us greatly. We praise you in Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing together forgiven. Lord, forgive us for our pride. When our faith becomes a show, dressed in righteous deeds to hide all the stains below, 
We have judged your sons and daughters for the sin that is our own. May we now forgive each other and lay down our Joyful, joyful, we adore you.
with that in mind, let me uh, read this doxology to you from Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the one God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God bless you all.